0: Welcome to Timber. I'm John Christensen, a Timber co-founder. Timber is podcast hosting for people dedicated to the craft of audio storytelling. And we're also a place to read about these same people and what they do to amaze our ears. The podcast I'll be reading about today is Undisclosed. It was created by Rabia Chaudhry, and this story was written by British journalist Sean Williams, who lives in Berlin. I've gotten to know Sean over the last several months because Timber worked with him a little bit to get his podcast off the ground. His show is called Underworld, and it's about mafias and international crime and cartels. It's a really fun weekly chat slash scripted show that's doing really well because of the talents of Sean and his co-host, fellow journalist Danny Gold, who came out of Vice News. Anyway, that's not what this is about. Let's learn all about Robbie's creation, Undisclosed. This is one of the best reported pieces we got in the first batch of stories written for Timber. I was really impressed with it, and so thanks so much for writing it, Sean. She set out to change the world, not entertain it. Rabia Chaudhry's story of creating the breakout, genre busting hit, undisclosed. As soon as serial ended, Rabia Chaudhry knew she needed to act. It was 2014. Sarah Koenig's 12-parter about the 1999 murder of Hey Min Lee had just changed podcasting forever. The New York Times called Serial podcasting's first breakout hit. Users downloaded Serial 175 million times, and it won the 2015 Peabody Award. But Chaudhry, a Baltimore-based lawyer and activist, was unhappy. She had known the man convicted for Lee's murder, Anand Saeed, since she was 13, her little brother's best friend. Their families, both Pakistani-American, were close. Saeed's trial was beset with procedural flaws and Islamophobia, she said. Rights groups agreed. Chaudhry was the one who had initially pitched Saeed's story to Koenig, a journalist with This American Life. But she chafed at Koenig's equivocal ending. I realized that because of my work with other attorneys on the case, Serial had gotten a bunch of things wrong, the Lahore-born Chaudhry tells me. But also, people were really hungry for more information. Serial left a lot of information on the table. Serial was huge. Chaudhry knew she had an audience for something. She began writing a book, lawyerly and packed with details that hadn't made Koenig's final cut. But her own podcast? Chaudhry barely knew how the things worked. To friends who asked, she replied, no. It took friend and entrepreneur Shahed Amanula to convince Chaudhry that a podcast was the perfect platform to achieve her goals. They offered something immediate, raw. Chaudhry could choose her agenda and how to structure it. The idea appealed. Chaudhry resented Koenig's narrativizing and her all-white team's fleeting attempt to grapple with the bigotry of Saeed's case. There was a money aspect, too. Pods were cheap to make, and the cost of producing a 90-minute episode was barely more than producing a half-hour one. Chaudhry was convinced. She got to work. Alongside attorneys Colin Miller and Susan Simpson, Chaudhry dropped Undisclosed's first episode on April thirty-first, two 2015, just four months after Serial closed. We are not journalists or podcasters, its presenters admitted. We are three lawyers who are interested in the minute details of the case of the state versus Adnan Saeed. Rather than continue where Serial left off, Undisclosed would offer a forensic exoneration of Chaudhry's childhood companion. Today, Undisclosed 300 million downloads makes it the most successful wrongful conviction podcast in the world, its website claims. Compare this to CBS's NCIS television's most-watched show, which draws around 11.8 million viewers per chapter. It has over 75,000 followers on Twitter and an army of zealous fans. Half a decade after episode one, things are great. But it wasn't always so. From the get-go, media piled pressure on Chaudhry to deliver. Outlets including the New York Times, Rolling Stone, the Washington Post, PBS, Vanity Fair, and others heralded the arrival of Serial season two, We were like, no, we're not, Chaudhry tells me. She expressed her fears then via blog post. Chaudhry's show was amateur, and it sounded as much. Audio quality was poor. Chaudhry delivered lines hurriedly. The episode barely doffed a cap to narrative through 45 meandering minutes. I'm a lawyer, she protests. We don't know how to do storytelling. We don't know how to do any of it. It was like rolling into a lot full of Ferraris and a beat-up Chevy. The UK's Independent called undisclosed dreary listening. Even the Baltimore Sun, Chaudhry's local paper, slated it. But Chaudhry was right. She had an audience. Serial's success had spawned offshoots and even an SNL parody. Listeners loved undisclosed deep research and untangling of legal jargon. Chaudhry, Miller, and Simpson pored over witness statements, phone records, and judicial slip ups. Fans read accompanying documents on the pod's website. Undisclosed was part undergrad lecture, part courtroom drama. Listeners loved it. Slate soon called it, serial for the truly obsessed. But even with good press and a rapt audience, Chaudhary wasn't satisfied. She wanted to create a more professional package, so she turned to Rebecca Lavoie a New Hampshire-based radio journalism veteran whose own true crime pod, Crime Writers On, launched in December 2014. Lavoie, a journalist, demurred at undisclosed, unflinching bias. But shortly after joining, she marveled at their research and fact-checking. They're lawyers, she says. They have so much integrity in what they do. It was a masterstroke. 80 million people turned into undisclosed first season. Lavoy's editing and production value changed the sound of our program, Chaudhry says. Episode three blew up the internet. It was a completely new challenge for Lavoie. Narrative has guidelines as old as Gilgamesh. Undisclosed, long, wending, Byzantine, broke almost all. Lavoie was pleasantly flummoxed. They weren't really interested in making a podcast that sounded entertaining, Lavoie tells me. They have very dense, information-packed style that they are used to working with. Sometimes when I'm editing it, I think, I would have taken that whole thing out. It's boring. But Rabia says, no, the listeners want this. And I'm wrong, and she's right. So academic is undisclosed that universities have added it to law school curricula. Internet production guru Casey Neistat once mused that, everything else is a slave to story. Undisclosed through story under a bus of research, and it won. Soon, sponsors flocked. Today, companies including FabFitFun, ZipRecruiter, Quip, and Rocket Mortgage back the pod. Visitors to the Undisclosed website can buy merch like mugs and t-shirts. They'd make the team a decent living if they didn't put the money back into legal advocacy. People wanted so much more detail, says Chaudhry, and it turns out there's a huge audience for that. There are a lot of people who want the complexity. Podcasts like The Dollop and Dan Carlin's Hardcore History prove that the flexibility of podcast audiences, listened to as much by groups on, say, road trips as by individuals on their morning jog, gives creators freedom to go long and spare no minutia. I expected that we would have some people who are really interested in the Adnan Syed case and some in the legal community tuning in, Miller, a law professor at the University of South Carolina, told me. I never expected the audience we received. Chaudhry, Miller, and Simpson had hit their stride. Since the first Saeed season, Undisclosed has run through another 15 cases. Between the main episodes are addendum installments presented by celebrity fans, including Emmy Award-winning actor John Cryer. It has proved a winning formula, though anybody who has listened to Undisclosed exhaustive shows won't be shocked to learn that heaps of work goes into producing each 12-14 to episode season. Each show may be scripted to the tune of 10,000 words or more. It's a workload few could endure for long. Thankfully, undisclosed viral popularity has brought another key perk. Years back, a group of hardcore undisclosed enthusiasts reached out on Twitter asking if they could help with production. Now, they help transcribe, interview, and research. They've even hunted down employment records from Denmark. I've always been really interested in legal intricacies, says Skylar Park, one of the volunteers who studied law before moving to medicine. While Serial was great entertainment, it wasn't technical. So when Undisclosed came out, it was so exciting to be able to get the dirty from the lawyers. I found that so interesting. Now, says Park, we're a support team. Each of them loves Undisclosed's attention to detail and how it exposes many of American justices' pitfalls. In the beginning, it's harder to follow, admits Erica, a self-confessed superfan, but now I feel like I could probably pass the bar exam. It probably isn't for the average listener who wants to be told a story, but it's definitely for people who want to understand the ins and outs of the justice system. The rate of wrongful conviction in the United States is estimated to be anywhere from 2 to 10%. With 2.3 million people in American prisons, there may be near to a quarter of a million people they're on false charges. Each reverse conviction costs defendants an average of 8.9 years of their life, and U.S. courts have exonerated just 2,625 people since 1989. Legal organizations like the Innocence Project, with which undisclosed liaises, have brought bad cases to TV and magazine columns. Undisclosed is sharing them with a new audience. People don't know, unless they've been through our criminal process, what the system looks like and where all the failures are, says Chaudhry. Serial should have lingered on Saeed's case's Islamophobia much longer, she adds. When you have this entire community outraged and you dismiss it, that's deeply problematic. Lavoie reserves her highest praise for Chaudhry, whose book Adnan's Story published in 2016. Chaudhry also produces the podcast The 45th, about Trump's White House. If you want to have somebody in your corner in any endeavor, you want her, Lavoie says. She is hands down the most loyal and warm and dedicated person I've ever met in my life. Listeners have gone from demanding stories about bad guys who got caught to people who shouldn't be in jail, adds Lavoie. If someone's getting railroaded and they listen to Undisclosed, they understand how it works. Plus, maybe 50 or 60 people have told Chaudhry they are going to law school this year because of the pod, she says. It's had a pretty great impact in a way that's great for the work we believe in. Six of Undisclosed subjects have had their convictions overturned. They're a source of immense pride for Chaudhry, Miller, and Simpson. Side's own appeals reached the U.S. Supreme Court in November. It's a rejection devastated the trio, but they will continue fighting. Chaudhry is an example of the success podcasting can bring when its creators stay true to their beliefs and methods. Undisclosed has sacrificed nothing to bring its unique scholarly show to audiences barely imaginable in other media formats. It is leading a second wave of true crime podcasts. They are dressing up podcasts about far-ranging, deeply political subjects in the name and style of early true crime pioneers. We're working as defense investigators, Chaudhry says, to make sure that if we do find evidence, it's presentable in a court of law. The end. Since Sean's story didn't reference any specific episodes of Undisclosed, I thought I'd just play the first two minutes of episode one from the most recent season, which is called The State v. Jeff Titus. And I gotta say, just listening to these first two minutes Uh, There is no lack of storytelling excellence. I mean, the scene setting and the questions that it puts in your mind, if it doesn't make you want to keep listening, um, I don't know what will.
1: In Michigan, November 15th marks opening day of deer season. For Michigan's hunters, it's practically a holiday. Hunters all over the state head out into the woods and fields in hopes of encountering a deer. Many of them will hunt on private land, but those who don't have access to private hunting areas can try their luck on public lands like the Fulton State Game Area, a square mile of swampy woodland in a rural corner of Kalamazoo County that's been set aside for public hunting access. Ron and Sandy Elwell have lived beside the Fulton game area for over 30 years now in a cabin that they built themselves in an idyllic wooded clearing that borders the public hunting land. Back in 1990, Ron Elwell still was working on the cabin. That November 17th, the first Saturday of that year's deer season, nearby hunters in the Fulton State game area would later recall hearing the sound of his hammering ringing out through the woods all afternoon.
0: But that fall... Um, gosh, I can still remember it pretty vividly. A friend of mine was over and we were building a deck on the back end of it. And uh, I heard the two shots. But you don't think nothing of it
1: because this is state property. You know, this is a state hunting area. So, you know, we hear shots constantly. So, But those two, it was, I don't know, it was kind of a quiet afternoon.
0: You know, again, we didn't think nothing of it.
1: During hunting season, if you're anywhere down near the game area, it's normal to hear gunshots all day long. So if anything, that particular afternoon was notable because of how quiet it was. Just two shots fired close together in the hour or so leading up until dark. And after that, things quieted down again. It wasn't until sometime around sunset that Ron Elwell first heard the yelling.
0: Now I want to know what happens. But that's all I can play here, so go listen to the show and find out. Thanks for listening to this story. I've been your host, John Christensen, and music, sound design, engineering, and mastering was done by Roy England.